to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to COVID, crisis management, resilience, business continuity, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community respond to, prepare for, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fulick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Welcome to uh, November's show. Actually, this will be airing December 1st. So welcome to uh, December's show. It's Bunnies and Rainbows time again with Regina Phelps to talk about all things COVID and RSV. Regina, welcome back. Alex, it's such a treat to be here. I like the title of Bunnies and Rainbows. It makes me very happy. <laughs> um, and you know what was what was actually Bunnies and Rainbows is you and I got to see each other face to face in the flesh in Toronto last week, which was way fun. Way, way fun. We did at the Continuing Resilience Today conference. We finally mm-hmm. got to see each other and it had been yeah. three years since three the years. last time we saw each other face to face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, yeah. there so was this was great fun. thing going around somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little bit like the thing going around right now, right? Yeah, we've got so much to talk about with what's happening in the world with regards to, oh my goodness, flus, COVID, um, just so much. RSV, right? Yeah. Everybody's now becoming a flu and an RSV expert. So should I just dig right in and we can start? Yeah, let's just jump right in. Okay, great. As always, I'm going to share my screen because I have, of course bunnies and rainbows to show you some days i'm actually i'm actually going to pull that out and do bunnies and rainbows because i think that would be <laughs> okay so i want to start whoops let me go back okay great so let me talk about where we are right now uh and i'm gonna start with the flu first because we're in what's called the tridemic uh, do you might remember when everybody said on the first year of covid that it would we could actually have a twin demic do you remember that in december yeah. november yeah. of 2020 but of course, that didn't happen because everybody was still wearing masks and for the most part, behaving themselves. And so we didn't have this acceleration of all these respiratory viruses. But this year, we're actually having the tridemic, which is the flu, RSV, and COVID. So what I'm showing uh, our listeners, and if you're on um, uh, Voice America, just know that I'm showing a slide, a slide that shows the United States and then also a curve demonstrating the increase of flu in the U.S. The flu is so bad this year in the U.S. that actually the CDC had to come up with another color, uh, which is purple. And so historically, when you looked at flu weekly, which if you are in the U.S. or just curious about what's happening with the flu in the United States, if you go and just simply Google flu weekly CDC, and you'll find a very cool page that talks about everything related to the flu. And on this particular slide, I want to talk about two things. One is the flu map of the U.S., which is on fire. So when you look at the map, the whole southern part of the U.S. is either red, which used to be the worst color. Actually, actually, uh, brown, brownish orange used to be their worst color. Now we have it's filled with red, dark red, darker dark red, purple, uh, and also a little bit of orange. There's only about four states left that have very little flu in transmission. And so it gives you an idea and why this is actually helpful to look at on a regular basis, they update the map weekly, is it gives you an idea of what's happening in your community. And some states, you can also go to the State Department of Health and you can drill down and see what kind of flu figures are in your community. Most uh, city or county departments of health don't have that kind of granular detail, but the state often does because they have to submit it to the CDC. Uh, The other part of this slide shows this incredible U-shaped curve. And it starts with the flu in February of 2021. 
So you'll see it was relatively slow, or sh uh, relatively low, if you will. Uh, but then what you do is when you look over to the far uh, right-hand side, you'll see this incredible dramatic rise. And that's the flu that we have right now in the U.S. We are really, really, really way ahead of schedule. Usually the flu really starts to become a problem around December, but we are already in deep trouble with many hospitals in the U.S., already at record numbers of mm. people that are ill and being hospitalized. And that specifically also really talks to the um, child population as well, so pediatrics. Um, and I'm, I'm going to talk one more thing, and I want to hear about what's happening in your world. Uh, our COVID numbers in the United States, if you look at this particular diagram from the New York Times, what you'll see is our, you know, our, our flu reported cases are still relatively flat, but remember that flu numbers as far as cases is not a very reliable indicator. Most people in the U.S. are actually doing home tests. Many communities have uh, disbanded their PCR uh, tests that you used to mm -hmm. be able to go to an area and actually get tested. You have to go to your physician now. Um, and so they are not a reliable indicator. The, po the test positivity rate also, because of that's not very reliable, but you can see that people that are reporting their tests or that are actually getting still getting PCRs, I have a high degree of, of um, positivity for the number of tests that are being done. But I do want to point out one thing that's really important is that is our hospital numbers still remain really high in the U.S. 29,000 people right now are in hospitals, hospitals and about 3,500 of those are in ICUs. That's a lot of people uh, taking up mm -hmm. space in the hospital system. And we still embarrassingly have around 300 to 350 deaths per day, every day in the U.S. The average daily total of deaths uh, right now for the last seven days is 330 adults. Most of those are older. Most of them, again, by older, I'm defining that as over 65. If you're wondering, am I in that category? And many of them have comorbidities, which means they have other problems such as, oh, you know, heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, obesity, and so on. So that's really when you look at um, those people that are currently uh, impacted. Many of them are also vaccinated. Now, I want to just talk just for a second about that. Many of the, there was a study that just came out in Nature a few weeks ago. Oh, actually about only about 10 days ago. And I talked about how many people now that are dying are vaccinated. And that is true, but it's not really a, a good um, explanation of what's happening. That's really including people that are primarily older, usually have some comorbidities, and often have only had three vaccines. So the, the initial two shot series and then a one dose booster. So three shots, which is really what's going to be called the prime series going forward. So they have not had additional boosters beyond those uh, three shots I mentioned. So those people that are up on their shots uh, may still get ill, but your chances of dying or going to the hospital are quite low. So let's talk about what's happening in your world. What's going on with you, dear? Well, all kinds of things have been happening up here lately. Uh, it's hard to know even where to start. Um, so uh, I'll just start and see where I end. Um, That's right. That's good. I'll ask questions. <laughs> COVID, RSV, and flu cases are on the rise. Mm -hmm. uh, really based on exactly the same things that you just went through and, and right. the things that you just mentioned. What's happening uh, with COVID, because places have shut down, you can't easily get tests anymore. Uh, a lot of people are just staying home and have uh, have been doing that for a while now. Um, and they're doing home tests pretty much? If they can get any kind of a test, yes. You know, um, my neighbor, uh, as, as I was talking to her last night when I was walking the dog, we were 20 feet apart, thank goodness. But she's been ill for the last week and a half. And she said, uh, you know, she's older and she said it's the worst she can remember in her lifetime ever having she this cold. You know, yeah, but she had negative and positive uh, mm -hmm. results going back and forth. So because there's this weird flu also that's going around. So th she thinks she had some sort of a combination at mm -hmm. some point um, that was driving something. Mm -hmm. uh, RSV cases for kids uh, up all across the board. Mm -hmm. There's one hospital uh, in Kitchener or Waterloo, which is a city just down the road for me, uh, about 15 minutes, 
they had one hospital operating at 150% capacity. Wow. Hallway, hallway healthcare. Yes. And what they, what some hospitals are already doing, even those that are not being overrun at the moment are Mm -hmm. starting to move and juggle patients around Mm -hmm. sending, you know, if a hospital has a really low, um, um, I'm not even sure the right term, but occupancy rate, would that be right? Mm -hmm. Occupancy rate, um, sending some of their uh, less critical uh, patients there so that um, one hospital can become totally focused on RSV or COVID or something. And uh, flu cases, as I say, are going up to the roof. More people are getting some flu shots, but because things are happening so quickly here, that really doesn't matter. (laughs) People already have it uh, intermingling. You're starting to see people now um, starting to change their perceptions, even if they were vaccinated and they weren't wearing masks, are now starting to say, you know, maybe I should put a mask on this. What's going on um, is a little scary. And I think what the scary part has done is because of RSV and kids now. Kids, right. And now people are saying, I have kids. I didn't worry about it you know, for the last three years, but all of a sudden they don't want their daughter or their son to get sick. Right, I've got right. co-workers in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, two of them live in Alberta. Both families got COVID. All the kids got sick and all the kids got it really bad. Mm-hmm. So, and they're, they're older kids too. You know, they're, they're 14, 15, 16. Wow. And they wow. got it really bad. So that's happening. That's putting a, a huge stress on the healthcare system because we already have doctors and nurses and administrators and uh, janitorial staff and other people who are really hanging by a thread because right. they've gone through three years of all hell. of this, yeah, hell, all this craziness. And they are just, you know, overwhelmed. You know, how, how can they go another six, seven months or a year? With, with more things so that that's putting huge stress um and no one really knows how to fix that because yep. people are still quitting or they're getting sick themselves mm-hmm. so they they have to uh, you know pull themselves away which puts even greater stress on those that are still available to work mm-hmm. um schools are opening um have been open for a while there is talk right now of asking without mandating that everybody wear masks Mm -hmm. the fear is if they put a mandate in this is what uh, provincial and federal governments are saying the fear is if they mandate a mask they could end up with another uh, protest out in windsor or vancouver or the big one in ottawa freedom Uh, convoy will return yeah yeah, quote unquote freedom convoy you know and uh cause other issues again Mm-hmm. So no one's using that word mandate. Even the uh, director of health for um, Canada, Canada wide, is strongly recommending people putting their masks back on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one We've of the been people- doing that in the U.S. too, where no one wants yeah. to use the M word. Yeah, uh, one of my neighbors who cuts hair, they're starting to revert back to some of the protocols they had in place mm-hmm. uh, with social distancing and people wearing masks and things like that. They're starting to. Um, head back in that direction. Uh, some other stores are now doing the same thing. It's a little deja vu moment, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Um, I mentioned school with the masks. Uh, this same people that I work with in Edmonton, they uh, we were talking last week and they said there were almost 20,000 students that were out of class. Wow. Um, for, some re- for some reason, almost uh, like 20%. Uh, it was between 18 and 20, 20,000. And yeah, already, respiratory something. Yeah. And I already looked it up online and they had a hundred thousand, they have roughly just over a hundred thousand students in the public school system in Edmonton. Okay. So they had almost 20% of their students home sick. Uh, so that, that's, that's page one. <laughs> you know, yeah, just, it's, it's all kinds of things. Yeah. Because of the respiratory illnesses and the, um, especially with RSV and children, there's a demand uh, shortage for children's medicine. I heard and that Tylenol was impossible to find. Children's Tylenol was hard to find it in is. Canada. It is. 
uh, I went. That was shocking to me. I mean, that's just generic and available everywhere, right? It is, but everything happened and exploded so fast Mm -hmm. that people just, they had to get their hands on it. Mm -hmm. So the shelves are actually empty with child uh, children's medicine right now. It's also another thing that's, I just want to add on that. mm -hmm. Another drug that's often given when people have secondary bacterial infections is amoxicillin, a liquid amoxicillin, which is also impossible to find anywhere in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Because because it's often given to kids uh, when they are trying to fight off a bacterial infection that's on top of a viral one, and you can't find amoxicillin to save your life. Yeah, and the the so all the shelves are empty uh, with children's medicine, even at the um, the large grocery store where I go to, they have a little pharmacy area as well. They're all empty. Walmart is empty. You know, all all those big box stores and uh, any other pharmacies uh, across Canada, they're all empty. And after everybody listens to us, people are going to go out and try and find something, right? Just in case. Good luck. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) You know, power to you if you can find it. Right. (laughs) Uh, So the federal government has stepped in and they've, um, I can't remember who it is they've contacted, but they're importing a million uh, packages, uh, not doses, but packages. So bottles right now, which I've heard is probably going to go up. Um, they're importing a million bottles uh, to spread across Canada right now wow. uh, to at least every family be able to get one bottle in their hands, uh, you know, those that have kids. So um, that's happening right now. Hmm. Then there is, um, I already mentioned the perceptions that some people are now starting to wear masks that didn't before that thought that, you know, the whole thing was stupid, but now they're starting to change. So perception is changing. Um, flu, a lot of people are catching the flu here. There is, there seems to be a weird, and I know you're going to be talking about some of this later too. Uh, a, I don't want to say it's COVID, just COVID or just the flu. There's some weird hybrid that's uh, impacting everybody. They said they feel like they have the flu, but they've got all the symptoms of COVID, or they feel like they've got COVID, but then there's there's these weird other symptoms that seem to be more flu. Well, to be honest with you, people can get both at the same time. So you could actually have the flu and get COVID or vice versa. And if you and as you as as we've talked about many times, when you test, many times you are positive, you feel like hell, but you still takes two or three days for your actual home antigen test to turn positive. So if you if you feel like hell and you don't know what's going on, you should you need to basically test for about three days before you absolutely are sure that you don't have COVID. Yeah. And when people are catching this and people that I know, I've had family members catch this. My niece has got it. Um, thankfully I'm still fine and haven't caught anything, not even the original COVID yet. So knock on wood on that, but, uh, they're, when they're getting it, they it's lasting for well over a week. It's not just a couple of days of feeling bad. It's lasting at least a week and a half to two weeks. Well, and let me just say, many people don't understand that COVID is a 14 day illness at minimum, Mm. 14 days. And the first week is essentially where you have viral replication uh, and the second week is where you actually have the inflammatory response, which is when people that are going to get really sick, get really sick. And that's where they become yeah. hypoxic and have a lot of other related issues. So if you think COVID is a short-term illness, it is 14 days is the actual length of time you can expect to feel probably not so great for a lot of that 14. And maybe that goes on longer after that, and which turns into the whole long COVID related issue. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are thinking if they catch the flu, well, then it's usual, uh, you know, you feel crappy for a day, then you've got two days where you really feel crappy, and then you start to improve after that. <laughs> there's crappy and there's so, crappier. <laughs> yeah, there's crappier. So there, I think that's what some people are thinking, but they're realizing it's lasting longer than that. So they know they've got something worse uh, other than that. And uh, I, I mentioned testing. It's kind of impossible uh, for most people, I get a PCR I, test, right? To, yeah, I can't get a test. There, you know, all the testing centers that were open at one point, yep, every closed. single one is closed all across yep. the country. Like nothing is open. Um, and you, some people have said, "Well, go to your doctor's." Well, no doctor's office is going to let you walk in there, whether you're wearing right. a mask or not. You know, and some people just don't have the energy to do it if they're already feeling like you know crap. Right. So, so um, that that's, uh, I think there is a. Um, 
there, there's, there's a little graphic that uh, um, a hospital put out up near uh, where I go to for, for a break out in the country, uh, a hospital up in uh, Northern Ontario. And it says, you know, something to the effect of stop, check, uh, and then go. So stop, don't, if you're feeling the sniffles, don't go to the hospital right off the bat. Just stop. Right. Take a look, self-diagnose, find out what you have, what you don't have. Call telehealth or something because uh, we can, I don't know if you have it in the States. But we have that call, too. Yeah. You, yeah. So telehealth, call the the um, a nurse practitioner that usually answers the phone. They'll help you through, find out if you do need to go anywhere. And if they say, you know, yeah, it sounds like you have COVID, stay where you are. Don't go anywhere. You know, and they give you direction there. If there's something else, then they'll say, okay, this is what you do. Go here and they'll direct you to a, a specific spot to go to. So that's becoming more and more uh, communicated now. Um, I'm not sure right. if I've got the right words, but mm-hmm. stop, check, and go. But um, Which is really important because unless you, unless you are having, you know, shortness of breath, unless you're really having, you know, protracted vomiting and you can't stop or, you know, there are certain kind of things um, that you really would say, yes, I need to go see a physician right now or I need to go to an emergency department. But if you just feel like hell, then stay home, hydrate, rest. Uh, You know, if you have COVID tests, take them, uh, you know, and check your temperature, be responsible. Don't go out and infect a lot of other people. I think, you know, it's been a while since people, if you, especially if people haven't had COVID before, or maybe they had it before and they had a light case. And now we're getting hit with, oh my God, I haven't had the flu in five or six years. They went, you know, the flu makes you feel awful. Many people don't remember that perhaps, but the flu is not a cold. You know exactly the difference when you have a uh, flu. Oh, yeah. It feels like you were hit by a truck. Every muscle in your body hurts. It goes on and you just want to die. That is the flu. A cold is where you don't feel so great. Your nose runs. You might have a little bit of a temperature. You have a cough. They are really different. And COVID can actually infect you when you have other respiratory illnesses. So you could easily easily be having a a multiple diagnosis situation. Um, But yeah, you should be really responsible and don't go to places where you can infect people unless you really are experiencing things like shortness of breath, et cetera. Yeah. So that that's really what's happening up here. And that's happening from coast to coast to coast. Mm. So let me just talk about two more things before we move on, because I want to, um, I want to see, I, I don't know what's happening. Do you know what you're, what's going on with your sub variants in, in Canada by chance? I didn't look. Uh, no, that I don't know. I want to talk about this very quickly. And then um, I want to talk about one other thing and then we'll uh, take a break. Um, so the, um, there's a huge shift going on and I know that everybody, uh, has been confused by so many different initials that we have to deal with, but you can pretty much say goodbye now to the original Omicron variant here in the United States, which is BA5. And if you're looking at this uh, slide on YouTube, what you'll see is that there's a turquoise kind of color that used to be very large. Uh, certainly remember we, that happened here around Thanksgiving last year and has been the dominant variant for almost a year. And as you can see from this particular slide going from a left to right, now there are two sub-variants that are now taking over from mom who is now retiring. And that is BA, B, BQ, excuse me, BQ.1 and BQ.1.1. And here in the United States, those two alone comprise now 57% of the cases that are being PCR tested. There's another one that we should also keep our eye on, which is in this particular slide, is a peach color, which is XBB, which came out of Singapore. It is also a variant, subvariant of Omicron, uh, but that actually was really uh, uh, problematic in uh, Singapore and has been also problem- problematic in adjoining countries. But that's what we have to look forward to. As far as, far as BQ1.1, it is more uh, immune evasive than BA.5. But as far as whether it makes people more ill or more significantly impacted, I think at this point, most people believe it's probably a wash. However, it's infecting people who just recovered, let's say, from a BA.5 infection. So it is very immune evasive. So just you might say, well, gosh, I got COVID two months ago. I'll probably be fine. Not necessarily. No, you could still easily get BQ.1 or BQ.1.1. So that's 
something to think about. And I would imagine that Canada is probably tracking the same with us. BQ.1.1 yeah. is pretty much the big uh, up and coming variant uh, around the world. And the last thing I want to mention before we take a break has nothing to do with the uh, RSV or the flu or COVID, but it's another disease. I'm so wishing I could stop talking about diseases and we could talk about other things, Alex. But one day, one day, <laughs> one day, it's measles. <laughs> this caught my attention because uh, the CDC and the WHO issued an alert over the weekend about how bad measles has become. And that's because a lot of people, because of the pandemic and certainly in developing nations, which were really on track to really make a huge difference in the elimination of measles worldwide, have really missed a lot of vaccines because of COVID. And so now we have a huge measles problem worldwide. In 2021, a record of 40 million kids worldwide missed their uh, measles vaccine, either the first or the second dose, which means they are not protected. They're partially immunized, which means you could still get the measles. Uh, the CDC and the WHO also said that we're currently on track for uh, having 9 million measles cases worldwide and 128,000 deaths of kids primarily uh, in 2021. That's awful. Measles is a terrible disease and can be fatal, especially for children. Uh, and so what, what's really the paradox here, if you will, is that we were highly effective in getting the vaccine for COVID out. But what happened is all the other immunizations have lagged worldwide. And now we are really in a crisis worldwide about measles in particular. And that particular vaccine is called MMR, which is measles, mumps, and rubella. And we are way behind in many places around the world, probably Canada as well, certainly in the mm. U.S., and so we have a lot of kids that could be exposed and actually could come down with measles. And if you're an adult and have not been vaccinated for measles, you have the opportunity to have that happen to you as well. And for people, adults who get measles, it is awful illness. And you really want to make sure that you're up to date with your MMWR and MMR, and you want to make sure that your kids are vaccinated. So I plead with all of our listeners to really look at your kids' vaccine records this is the time to really do something about them. I'm happy to say I'm up to date on all of that stuff. Good. So whew, thank goodness. You know, who knew in the last couple of months we've talked about polio uh, right. surfacing, resurfacing in areas we never thought right. it would appear. And now measles, you know, coming it back. Is, it is. Yeah. In my adult life, I would have never thought we'd be having these conversations, but we certainly are, which is a whole nother conversation we could talk about with anti-vaccine folks. But So on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. It was a long one, too. There was so much to, to talk about. <laughs> yeah, you told so, me, you said, wow, it's going to be long. <laughs> yeah. We're talking with Regina Phelps today, and uh, we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. 
Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insights from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, and get hired into the career you want and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps once again. Uh, Regina, lots of information with COVID and RSV and uh, flu and unfortunately having to talk about measles. You know, new variants that uh, just keep coming out. Um, right. But let's see if we can move on to something else. Let's that one. Well, this is only going to be a slight variation on something else, right? So, uh, what I want to do is, I had done quite a bit of research for a speech I just gave in Toronto that has some really interesting information, and I would really like to share that with our listeners. And this is basically on the societal impacts of a of a pandemic. So I've actually done pandemic planning since 1997. And I never, frankly, uh, this is how embarrassing I'm, I am I can't really believe I never thought about this, but I never really thought about, well, what happens afterwards? What happens to society? What happens to all of us? And it just never dawned on me, to be honest. And so uh, I just did a speech uh, for the Continuity Resilience uh, Conference in Toronto, and I was on essentially the long tail of COVID. And what I want to talk about, because I think it has a huge impact, not only on us personally, but also, frankly, on our profession to understand uh, what we need to plan for and expect uh, over the next few years. And actually, the thing that I found most fascinating is these societal impacts have historically lasted somewhere around 50 years. That's five zero years. That's pretty amazing. Right. It's not a short term thing. Oof. So I always ask people as I, you know, I have sort of one question for you and that's really this, you know, is, and what I would say is that, you know, is this over yet? And I'm really talking about COVID and really there's two ways to answer that question. Uh, First of all is the medical answer. And the answer is no, the pandemic is not over. I know everybody thinks it's over, but it's not. And this just gives you a visual view of actually all of the variants that we've had, ones that have historically now passed, but ones that are coming up in the future. And it's a very, very busy chart. And the reason I like it is because it shows you how many things are going on. If you look at this particular chart and you look at the very top left-hand corner, uh, you'll see BA1, that was the original strain. And how quickly, you know, a year after its uh, immersion, it came, came into BA2, uh, and then we actually now have a large list of variants. And now we are in the lower uh, right-hand corner. And now you'll see where we're actually at BQ 1.1 and so on. So medically, it is not over. Medically, uh, it is still affecting um, thousands of people across uh, countries. It's still, you know, as I mentioned earlier, killing people in the United States to the tune of 330 people a day. So it's not over. but. There's another way to look at how you determine whether the pandemic is over or not, and that's the public. This is actually Oktoberfest uh, this year. And as you can see in the mind of many folks, it is over. And that really is true. And you and I have talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. But Oktoberfest this year was jam-packed, and it resulted in being a huge super spreader event in Germany with hospitals filling up, ICUs filling up. But, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's People are over it. And that's something that we have to think about as planners and, and as individuals, not only living our own individual lives, but what's happening around society. So and just as we talked about a moment ago, looking at RSV and the flu, people are now wondering like, oh, my gosh, maybe I should be a little bit more careful. And now I think the reason that that's impacting people, as we talked about, is because the audience of who's actually suffering has changed. Or now you're seeing younger kids, uh, babies even, who are suffering from these respiratory illnesses. But 
for the most part, that's why people don't want to use the M word mandate, why they don't want to require things is that the public is done with this pandemic, which, by the way, historically is what happens in the 1918 Mm -hmm. flu. The greatest death toll was actually in 1920 when we were over it psychologically, but not medically. And that was the highest death toll worldwide, which I always thought was pretty fascinating. Which would which we would kind of be in now, right? Yes, exactly right. We are exactly in that space where everybody's <sighs> given up, right? So this gets down to what I call the long tail of COVID. And really what I want to talk about, and we'll probably only get to the center circle today, which is really pandemic societal disruptions. And there is a lot to talk about here. But there's also other things that I will emphasize probably in December, and that is the health impacts mental health, long COVID, and the impact of the healthcare system. And you just mentioned it briefly when you talked about the fact that our healthcare system is overwhelmed. They've been overwhelmed for three years and they're getting no relief and people are leaving their profession. So the impact of health is not just you personally or your family, it's a system that's being impacted. There's also education and income losses. And I'll talk about this next month. Um, we're already seeing large impacts to young kids with loss of educational knowledge, but that has the potential for long-term income loss. And I'll share that next month. Uh, The future of work, and this is really what I wanna talk about in relationship to our work as professionals and what this means for us. And then lastly, the issue of the impact to our profession overall. So that's kind of holistically looking at the long tail of COVID. But what I wanna peel back now is actually the societal disruptions. And I wanna start with a um, quote that I think is really important to reflect on. And this is from an historian who wrote extensively about the 1918 flu. And essentially what he talked about, this guy's name is William Rosen. And this is something to reflect on because this is where we are. The effects of epidemics slash pandemics are not measured only in mortality, obviously people dying. Their secondary consequences have a much more far-reaching and disorganizing uh, aspect than anything that could have been resulted from the mere reduction of population. So what he's saying, and I, I think is chilling, is that the secondary consequence, the impact to our society is far greater than all of the people that have died. And that's really what I want to talk about today and we'll talk about also next month. Kind of a chilling quote, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Right. Oh, Yeah, when you think it's we're over, <laughs> over, the answer is we're not over. Yeah. And now we're going to really continue to experience these societal disruptions. So to that, I want to talk about this concept of societal disruptions. This is not a term that I've made up. It's actually a very common study in the field of sociology and also in history, looking at events. So many things that have caused societal disruptions have been things like wars, significant wars. So World War I, World War II, certainly things like a global pandemic have caused major disruption in our society. And essentially, that term simply means that we actually have serious disruptions to what's going on in the functioning of society. And certainly in COVID, oh my gosh, we certainly have had that. And then on top of that, the impacts of the war in Ukraine, which has impacted supply chains and many, many, many other issues globally. Including Um, food. Including food, absolutely, which will very likely drive a famine in Africa uh, that they're starting to experience now. And so essentially, these societal disruptions really talk about the alteration, the dysfunction, and the breakdown of social life. So, you know, whether that's people acting poorly, we've certainly seen a lot of that in the United States since the pandemic began, but also this issue of how we as a society are really struggling uh, in the lack of our social skills and even the ability to have, you know, a conversation with other people. For a lot of people, it's really been difficult. And what this has really caused is really a radical transformation in our society and everything that we used to depend on, all of those certainties that we always could rely on aren't necessarily there anymore. Those things have fallen away and now what's emerging is something quite different. And it's, you know, the rise of, you know, the autocratic government, the rise of uh, poor behavior, uh, the rise of crime, all of those things have really been tied back to this pandemic. 
And the question really is, this ever happened before? And this is what my study of the last few months and reading, I don't know, 15 historical books on uh, global events is that unfortunately, Alex, it's happened after every major pandemic of which there's been 30 that have been documented well, going back to 430 um, BCE with Athens. Uh, the one that's heavily studied, of course, is the Black Death, which, of course, is the 14th century. That's the bubonic plague that decimated Europe. And essentially, there was a historian that wrote about this extensively. And I use this quote because it's chilling and it says kind of, you know, it could get worse, I suppose, but certainly it gives you an idea that we've been here before. And his quote out of his book is, European society after the 14th century plague was high strung, on edge and quick to violence. So fierce and clamorous was life that it could endure the mingled odor of blood and roses. That's pretty telling, isn't it? Bring, bring some very graphic images you know, to mind. That's, yeah, wow. yeah, and I, and I have to say that we have certainly seen that in the United States. We've had a rise of all kinds of things going on uh, in the last three years. Uh, anything from crime, uh, really poor behavior, the rise of autocrats, the rise of racism increasingly, uh, picking on individuals, anti-Semitism. It's been bad, and it hasn't yeah. just been here. It's been globally. Yeah, um, really yeah, uh, yeah unfortunately, yeah. is it? Which really gets to these five historical themes, and this is probably all we're going to chance to get a go go through. So I want to talk, talk to these really quickly, and we're going to dig more deeply into them. But these are the things that have been historically seen I'm not kidding, Alex, going back to 430 AD. The first one, and you'll find as you, as I talk through and all of our listeners, you know, kind of tick in your mind if I've been seeing this in my country. First of all, distrust of government and public health measures. Sound familiar? Yes, it does. Yes. <laughs> An increase of suspicion of government, distrusting anything that's been told to you by the government, pushing back against mandates. And you might say, well, has that happened in my country? Well, yes, here in the United States a lot. And then I just point to Canada with the freedom convoy that you experienced in Ottawa. Um, you know, the defiance of any kind of efforts to slow the spread, not wearing masking, uh, not wanting to distance, pushing back against closures of businesses, schools, etc. The resistance to mask wearing, by the way, is not a new phenomenon. It goes all the way back to the 16th century when those were really introduced, when people began to understand the bits about microbiology, that indeed you could pass illnesses by breathing, coughing, et cetera. Masks became used at that point. But of course, when there were plagues and outbreaks, people resisted them. And then vaccine resistance actually goes back to 1770 with smallpox, interestingly enough. And that's when they first started very primitive forms of uh, smallpox uh, vaccines. They would take a little bit of a smallpox pox pustule and they would mix it with water and they would scratch it on somebody's arm. Uh, and what it often did is it caused them to actually have a small outbreak of smallpox, but did not kill them. And they had immunity and they used that within armies to actually vaccinate soldiers. Hmm. Uh, so it goes back a long way. The second thing is blame, 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 blame. We're always blaming somebody else. We're blaming others. So that's either by sex or religion or ethnic group. Uh, we have been big blamers in the world of how countries have responded overall to outbreaks. Uh, it's had Chinese anti-sentiments go back way, way, way beyond this current outbreak that we had here. And that's, again, a constant theme going back to almost the uh, 14th century. And another one was an excuse for anti-Semitism, blaming the Jewish population for somehow causing this outbreak. You saw that here in the United States, and you're seeing this also around the world. So blame. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's, and we're going to persecute them is a big issue. The third, and this is certainly what we've seen in the U.S., and we'll talk uh, at length about this, hopefully, in our next uh, time, and we may have a moment to talk about it here, the fraying of society, widespread crime. We've had outbreaks of crime across the United States, organized crime, uh, small individual crimes, shoplifting, breaking into people's homes, stealing cars, you name it. 
It's all been material theft, if you will, not so much violent crimes, uh, political losses. So, you know, uh, elections that have been lost because of the handling of that particular uh, uh, outbreak. So, for example, Trump lost after the 20 on the 2020 election. Bolsonaro lost just in Brazil. Uh, political losses because people are blaming the leaders that were in charge. There's also been a huge movement towards populism and autocratic governments in many countries around the world. We have seen this in the U.S. You've seen it in South America. You've seen it in Africa, places in Europe, uh, Italy's new prime minister, uh, Hungary's prime minister as well. Uh, autocratic leadership, and you certainly see it in China with Xi and his way of he's been managing COVID, which is a whole thing we could talk about in an entire uh, podcast. The last two I want to mention, and then I'd like to just have a moment to talk before we end today uh, and see what you're thinking about. The next one is conspiracy theories and uh, apocalyptic theories as well. This is not new. Conspiracy theories go back literally to the 14th century documented in historical text, where people have made up these stories about how things have either been treated, how they started, who's at, who's at fault, and also apocalyptic thinkings where religious leaders saying, oh, you know, the, uh, the, the end is nigh and the day of judgment is behind us if you don't repent. That goes back centuries, not just I've seen this a lot in the, in the last three years, but it's not just to this particular pandemic. And I've, the last, I've read about that, that one, too, by the way. That, have you? Uh, yeah, it's uh, in, in different books, um, not about pandemic, but it's a way of creating fear to gain control. Yes, exactly right. And then that links into the one that you just mentioned about the uh, authoritarian and autocratic and things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the last one, which is also kind of interesting, is the rise of the worker. If you look at going back to hundreds and hundreds of years, when there has been pandemics, there has been the ability for workers to organize and to um, take more control of their life because of the shortage of workers uh, the impact on workplaces. And so here in the United States, we've had a huge increase in union organizing strikes uh, that have gone back to the beginning of the pandemic. And so there has been this rise of the worker, which is in many ways a positive outcome, but still something that actually um, is uh, is tied to a common theme in pandemics. So I mentioned those five things as, I mean, we're going to dig into them a lot when we're together next week. But my 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 comment to you or my question to you is that when you're looking at your nation in Canada and you look at the five things that I just mentioned, do you see common themes uh, based on, on uh, these historical references to Canada? Yes. Um, and we only have three minutes left, by the way. I know, so, I know. So I'll be really quick in answering. But yes, to uh, in some ways to different degrees in what's happening you know, south of us down in, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But yes, some of that is occurring here. Uh, the, the, the last one, the strikes, we've had uh, the teachers and uh, um, administrative staff uh, threatening to go on strike here in the province of Ontario a couple of times now. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's happening in some other industries now as well, where people have had enough. We're hearing about it in Star Starbucks wanting to start uh, unions right. with right. Uh, the coffee, coffee chains now, um, which weren't there before. So, right. yes, we're seeing all of that going and the rise of uh, separatism. Uh, mm -hmm. because, well, we didn't like how that province managed it, so let's get somebody else in power who will yep. tell us what we want to hear, which yeah. usually ends up being authoritarian. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. So, yes, all that stuff is starting to happen here, and you mentioned European examples, uh, well, examples around the globe. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's happening everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's actually, this is actually important for us to know and understand, not only personally, uh, when our, within our families and our society, but also for us as a profession, which is really what I want to talk about next month, is to really peel this back more because these long-term impacts, frankly, will probably last longer than you and I are going to be alive, my friend, which is hard yeah. to fathom. But when I did this historical survey and read all of these books, what I discovered is, is that this goes on, this doesn't go away when COVID finally disappears. I mean, it's never going to disappear when it becomes endemic. It is. It will have a long time to unravel the impacts because especially in the area of autocratic leadership, that is only going to intensify. And we're already seeing that in many mm -hmm. places around the world. And we're certainly seeing it in the U.S. with different state governments. And so what I want our listeners to be thinking about 
before we meet again at the end of the month, is that how is this going to impact us as a profession uh, and how is it going to impact you personally is that we need to think about we can't be passive, if you will, in how we go forward. And so I think the more that we can understand historical impacts, tie them back to ourselves. Uh, it will help us in our planning. And certainly when we have crises, uh, because mm-hmm. those will continue, of course, and the impact uh, is going to be potentially more difficult to manage based on these impacts from the pandemic that will be the biggest hangover we've had. And on that, we've come to the end of the show, <laughs> Regina. On that happy is that note. that the bunnies and rainbows end yeah. that we were looking for? I think the bunnies and rainbows left the house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I know I'm looking forward to chatting next month. Uh, and you know, it's only a few weeks away when we chat again, but I'm looking forward to chatting about that and uh, sharing the societal um, impacts because, uh, yeah, I think we've only just begun to see change. And right. I think a lot more is still co- to come yet. So. Yes. Yes. And just so people know that we'll be talking about all of this, but in particular, we'll be talking about the future of work and tying that back to what we do for a living. Yes. So thank you, Regina, for sharing all of that with us. I look forward to next month's chat and uh, hopefully there'll be some good news next month. I hope so. Maybe we'll have a few bunnies and rainbows and I'll have to find some to put on a slide of nothing else. Right. Something good. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks, Regina. You're welcome. And everybody watching and listening. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.